I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This episode of the Cult Popture podcast was brought to you by our Patreon. If you want to tell us which films we should watch or get two extra exclusive podcasts a month, then please consider joining the cult and donating at www.patreon.com slash cultpopture. Hello everybody and welcome to Film Franchise Fortnights on the Cold Popshire Podcast. Um, I am AJ, your host, joined as usual by Richard. Hello Richard. What up? How's it going? Yeah, good, good. And Richard, uh, we're feeling a bit humbled today because usually you and I are the most knowledgeable, qualified speakers on the franchise that we talk about uh, each fortnight. Uh, But today we are joined by someone who, without exaggeration, probably is legitimately one of the world's leading experts on the two films (laughs) we'll be discussing today. It's Tim Bat from The Worst Idea of All Time. Kia ora koutou katoa. Nice Mm -hmm. to be here. Thank you for coming on the show, Tim. Yeah. A true pleasure to be asked. So, the worst idea of all time is uh, sort of the show that kicked kicked off the Little Empire podcast network that we're now on. Mm. Um, and do you want to briefly explain what worst idea is for those who who haven't heard of it? Worst idea of all time is myself, Tim Bat, and my friend Guy Montgomery watching and reviewing the same movie week after week for fifty two weeks. That is one calendar year, one rotation around the sun. Uh, hanging out with most recently the gals we watched mm-hmm. um in our most recent season well we call years seasons which doesn't really make sense yeah, yeah. but y- you get it you guys <laughs> are smart uh yep. we did sex in the city one prior to that we'd done a whole year of reviewing sex in the city two and um mm. i'll tell you what i didn't watch it again in preparation for this episode because <laughs> i've sworn off them <laughs> made a promise to myself we are honoured to have you on here to maybe talk about the two Sex in the City movies one last time. I'd love to. Um, that is a, that is truly an honour. Yeah. So, uh, the Sex in the City films serve as a pair of sequels to the famous HBO TV series of the same name, which ran from 1998 to 2004 and chronicled the friendship of four women making their way in the hustle and bustle of New York City. Um, you, have you guys ever seen the show? No. Nah. Not a lot of it. Caught the odd episode. Yeah. Not much. No, you see, have you seen any of it, Richard? <laughs> no, I haven't seen like a single second of it. And it was funny <laughs> watching the movies and being like, I bet people say this part is classic Sex in the City. <laughs> Mm. Yeah, well, the the TV show was lauded over the years for its progressive takes on once touchy subjects like sexuality, promiscuity and femininity, while also telling heartwarming stories about love and friendship. Uh, And the two films are mostly known for being about the opposite and undoing all that good work. (laughs) Uh, So uh, that's pretty fascinating because I I was thinking about it and the Sex and the City movies are to like 90s independent progressive women, what the Star Wars prequels are for 80s obsessive nerdy men in a way huh um yeah i read a bunch of think pieces from people who had watched the series and watched the movies and they were like you've ruined everything you've you've destroyed (laughs) what i held so dear to me yeah and it wasn't even like it was in someone else's hands it was the same guy Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, yeah, the first movie we we watched, um, well, I watched, (laughs) I'm actually the only person here who watched the first one first uh, (laughs) out of the three of us. So the first one was called Sex in the City or Sex in the City. The movie came out in 2008, was directed by Michael Patrick King, uh, who did a lot. He didn't create the TV show, but he did direct and write a lot of the episodes and is one of the creators of Two Broke Girls. Did you guys know that? Uh, it doesn't shock uh. me to hear that, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what do you guys think? And Tim, you probably know. Um, I'm, a lot of this is going to be me being like, "So, what do you guys think?" Oh, well, Tim, you probably know. Uh, what What do you guys think that this movie, the first movie, has on Rotten Tomatoes? Ah, oh, I don't know this. I'm going to say, oh my goodness, thirty one percent. Okay, Richard. Um, I think the first one, from what I understand, I think the first one still has like its fans. 
um, but not. I'm going to say like just below fresh, so like just below sixty. It's got forty nine percent on <sighs> Rotten Tomatoes, which was actually lower yeah. than I was expecting. And Tim, I love that. Um, despite talking about both of these movies for over fifty two podcasts, you guys never really did like a IMDb Wikipedia deep dive into them, which is potentially the gap in the market we're filling for the those who have come to see us from worst idea <laughs> this is good supplementary knowledge for worst idea listeners because that wasn't how we played ball we just watched yeah, the movies yeah. clocked in and then clocked out and got <laughs> out of the office through our hits yeah. in the bin <laughs> um so uh one thing I, I one observation i had first up about this movie is that we we haven't watched a lot of franchises in this podcast that are that are like TV like based on TV shows. I think the only one we've watched is the SpongeBob movies we watched back when we mm. first started the show. And I I know that like when when these TV like movies based on TV shows do get made, they work pretty hard to be like accessible to those who've never seen the show. Um and like the the start of Sex in the City isn't unclear, but it is probably the laziest I've seen a show based movie be with giving getting everyone up to speed because it just like shows some of the choice cuts from the TV show as it's doing its opening opening um, credits. It's bloody brilliant though if you're a straight <laughs> white dude in your early 30s or late 20s doing a podcast and you're not that mm. familiar with the TV show. It really does <laughs> catch you up with uh, yeah. all the background knowledge you need to dive into the film. <laughs> just thoughtful. I, I don't know what like what you want. I feel like what we got is kind of as good as you can – you know, use as a as a jumping off point for the movie. No, all right. Well, that's the yeah, fair enough. I guess it's it was it's not. I'm not necessarily criticizing it. It was just a strange thing to see. I'm not used to seeing that in like, you know, my 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 the the very niche genre of movie that is a TV show based movie. It is it is strange to walk into a cinema and be hit with yes. previously on this thing you're yes. watching. <laughs> <laughs> so, two years later in 2010, we got Sex in the City 2, also directed by Michael Patrick King. And what do you guys think this has on Rod Tomatoes? 17. Yeah, I, I know it's it's around that. It's got 15, so very close. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> Deservedly so. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, Tim, having seen each of these movies upwards of 50 times each, can you tell us briefly what each of them are about? Like, and what, you know, describe each of them. And I was going to say describe each of them in a sentence, but they're so (laughs) convoluted that that might be hard. (laughs) Sex in the City 1 is an attempt at taking four characters who have gone through a really interesting point in their lives of, like, developing, become self-assured woman sort of found their Mm. way with a couple of them at least in a way kind of not abject poverty but through very meager circumstances (laughs) in the big apple and rising up the ranks of their respective professions Mm. um and then the movie kind of takes all those interesting (laughs) interpersonal challenges mixed with all the romance that's uh, you know an intrinsic and important part of the show it just kind Mm. of throws all that interesting shit away and goes guess what everyone's fucking killing it everyone is (laughs) so rich it'll make you want to vomit into your popcorn and um here's some problems that aren't real problems but uh Mm. we're all rich now so they say write about what you know and guess what hbo gave us like fucking a million dollars per ep towards the end there so our brains are dumb now and we don't understand real human emotion (laughs) sorry that was a very cynical recap but. No, all good. The so the first movie, <laughs> I would say the the thrust of it is that Carrie and Big, who's her on and off again love interest from the TV show, are gonna get married, but he freaks out and leaves her at the altar, and everything everything's kind of <laughs> in the in a very loose term based around that one event. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's that's sort of the first one, and the second one. Uh, they go to Abu Dhabi, and I can't remember why. Do you remember how much of these movies? Do you remember yeah. having not seen them? For Mate, I've I've seen each of them more than fifty two <laughs> times. <laughs> they go to Abu Dhabi because Smith Jarrett, who is Samantha's love interest, who in the TV show actually nursed her through cancer, would you believe? And then she mm-hmm. breaks up with him in the first movie because <laughs> she gets bored of living in LA with him. Um, yeah. So he manages to land a role in this movie, which is set in the Middle East. And then yeah. uh, they're at the premiere launch event for the film um, at which uh, Samantha is, because Samantha is doing, well, she, she did all of Smith Jarrett's PR, so he considers 
uh, himself sort of indebted professionally to Samantha. Um, mm-hmm. Some sort of Faustian bargain has been struck between the two. Where they are <laughs> inextricably linked for time immemorial. So, mm-hmm. in spite of the fact that she dumps him in the first movie, he brings her as his date to the premiere event, and there's some tourism officials from the Middle East who have come. Well, it's, it's some sort of like he's a um, hotel magnate. Uh, mm-hmm. He owns a bunch yeah. of hotels, and he says, "I want you to do for my hotels uh, what you have done for Smith Jarrett's um, career, uh, yeah. acting career." So she gets an all expenses paid trip to Abu Dhabi with the gals. Yeah, <laughs> of and, course. And uh, and they they all yeah they all go on a big trip. Mm-hmm. No, that's good. That is, that I think we've for those who haven't seen them. Um, which, how, do you know how much of your fan base have actually seen the movies? Because I know you sure. told them not to watch them. Yeah, we were very mm. strict on our. So the first movie we did was Grown Ups Two, and we tell them pretty much every episode to not watch the movie. But we got a bit lazy with that warning later on. So <laughs> I, I know some people have dived in, but I can't recommend you know joining mm. their ranks if you're listening now. Yeah. Have you had you seen these films before, Richard? You said you hadn't seen the TV show. Uh, I haven't seen the TV show, but I think before this, for some reason, inexplicably, I'd seen both films twice. Um, <laughs> I can't remember the circumstances under any of for any of the four watches. I think maybe <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think after like I saw two of them, the like the each once at like a party, and then I saw the first one again. And I think I tried to watch the second one after listening to your podcast about it, Tim, and I was like. Mm wanted to get context for all the things you were talking about. And then I think I got halfway through it and I was like, why am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I watched, I've, I'd seen the second one when you guys did your uh, commentary, like your, your director's commentary of the film back in season two of your show. But other than that, I hadn't seen uh, the films before. Um, but I do, I am very curious with this, this next question I have here. And I know Richard and I are in agreement, but Tim, you've got a fascinating perspective, I'm sure. <laughs> uh, which is the better film? Sex and City One. I don't know. I thought maybe after watching them each, you know, 52 no, times, there would be something nuanced that I wouldn't. That's um, not a debatable question. That's not. Okay. There's nothing objective. Wait, objective, yeah. subjective. You know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah. There is a definitive answer yeah. for this question. And it goes, yeah. Sex and the City 1 is a bad movie. Sex and the City 2 is by far a worse movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. agreed. <laughs> um, so I could totally understand how the first film would serve as a satisfying conclusion to the TV show. Having never seen the TV show, I would assume that it's, it's it does an all right job. Like, I think it does some interesting character stuff. And at the very least, it does have a lot of heart, even if it is, like, very aimless in its mm. plotting. I think you're right. Yeah. The second movie, though, there's a bad film. Like, mm. <laughs> my <laughs> God. But if you haven't seen it, uh, which is which feels a bit redundant to say on this podcast with someone who's seen it uh, 50-something times, uh, it's essentially about a bunch of rich, privileged white women going to the Middle East and reaffirming to themselves and each other how much better the American way of life is. Um, I read one Think Piece article which referred to the film as ugly on the inside. Yeah. Uh, which I think is yeah. a very good way of putting it. Um, and for those who haven't listened to the 52-week-long analysis that is season two of The Worst Idea, the main character in this film, for context, is a rich white woman who literally owns two apartments. Uh, she nearly cheats on her husband because he buys her a flat-screen TV instead of jewellery. And the climax of the film is the woman having to get to the airport on time lest they be downgraded from first class. Not miss their flight, they just can't. They just won't be in first class. And no shit. They play that for all the drama in the world. Like, you would think that you are watching a heist movie. Yeah. No, it's not like Arrested Development or Shit's Creek where, like, the extreme privilege of the main characters is used to, like, make fun of them. Like, the the Sex and the City Mm. 2 audience are supposed to identify with these situations that only rich people would find to be, like, high stakes. You know, I mean, look, it's a long flight, especially because, and I can't remember the details on this, but they, the flight path they take, because there's a conversation about them flying over Morocco or something, which is not mm-hmm. the flight path uh, <laughs> on the particular 
plane ride that they took. So, I, yeah. they're in the air for a long time, even longer than most people are when they go from New York to Abu Dhabi. I'm looking forward to these little pieces of trivia that only someone who could have watched this film <laughs> as many times as you can offer up. Um, yeah, so there's a lot of unconscious privilege of the writing of Michael Patrick King. Um, and I was thinking like a more down-to-earth film, for example, if you're looking for something to compare it to, would have had them lose out on first class and maybe had them be humbled and learn that the riches and lavish lifestyles aren't everything because they're friends and they have each other and they love each other and it doesn't matter if you're in first class or not. You know, that that's what a normal movie <laughs> would do with, with those states, yeah. I guess. It's pretty crazy yeah. that there's zero character development as well. <laughs> like none. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Every time you think there's going to be, it's just like, oh, no, no, mm. she's just angry about the TV. Yeah, and they're saved from being, like, harassed by a bunch of uh, men in, in Abu Dhabi by a bunch of women in Abu Dhabi who- um, then you know, take they they hide them in a room and reveal that they are also wearing Chanel and I don't know fashion labels, but that's one that I think that's one of them. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and I thought I thought that was so stupid because it's, it it kind of feels like they're trying to be like, see, look, the women are independent because they have a conversation in the movie about how Middle Eastern women are so repressed, and it's like it's like the movie trying to say, but look, they they're just like Americans, but that's. That means this movie's set in an alternative universe where that is like the American way of life is just the most liberating and free and not, you know, it's not like they, they act like how um, the, the values of Abu Dhabi. It's like everyone is secretly American. Are you down. trying to tell me that that is not the world in which we exist? <laughs> well, I've never been to Abu Dhabi or America, so I don't know. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself, brother, because I think you'll find... <laughs> If you go to Abu Dhabi and you get those mm -hmm. burkas off those women, you're going to see <laughs> some Gucci. You're going to see mm -hmm. some- uh, Louis Vuitton. Dolce & Gabbana. Mm. Yeah, thanks, mm. Richard. <laughs> you can see me struggling well, out there. As 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 much as I like would like to stand up to the challenge of going to Abu Dhabi and getting burkas off those women. <laughs> like, <laughs> let's get a start again. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, a lot of the, um, the, the plans to make films based on the series came out as early as 2004 when the show ended. It had to swap a couple of production companies to actually get started. And Kim Cattrall, who plays Samantha, one of the gals, uh, apparently was very hard to strike a deal with, and which is a, a common theme across these two movies and a um, planned third film, which we'll get to later on. So the first film was was met with some mixed reviews of critics, one of whom was actually Cynthia Nixon, who plays Miranda in the, in the film, who's also one of the gals. Who went on to run to be governor of New York and did a lot oh. better than I think most people were expecting. Oh, cool. Mm. Nice. She disliked the <laughs> audience cool. response to the, <laughs> uh, to the ending of the film and said, uh, uh, quote, I remember when we screened the first movie in London when Mr. Big shows Carrie that the closet he's built for her and the, the entire audience clapped. I found that devastating. Maybe that's a strong word, but I was disheartened because I thought, is that what these women in the audience think true love is? A man who has enough money to buy you a walk-in closet? It's your fucking movie, Cynthia Nixon. Like, with all due respect, don't make something, show it to people, and then go, I am disgusted that you enjoyed that. I am absolutely appalled that you appreciate my work. <laughs> yeah, and, like, to be fair, you know, it's a comment on big nose Carrie and, you know, as shallow as she is, that's what she, <laughs> that's what she wanted. That's mm. a good take, Richard. I like that. True love is knowing how shallow your partner is and playing into that. <laughs> <laughs> so that being said, a lot of the critical harshness for this film um, has been speculated to have possibly been a result of sexist male reviewers who had already made up their minds on the film. Uh, Raman Setudi from uh, Newsweek wrote, I can't help wonder, cue the Carrie Bradshaw voice over here, if it's not a case of sexism in the city. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's possible. I'm willing to accept I might have some blind spots. Mm. Um, 
But you gotta say it's a bad movie, don't you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I just, I guess, said. I find it, I find it really interesting to see this kind of thing discussed in two thousand eight because, like, the battle yeah. of uh, whether a film that isn't led by straight white males is actually bad, or if it's just bigoted audiences and re- reviewers saying it's bad, is something that's almost commonplace these days in a post-female Ghostbusters world. So I don't know. I thought that was <laughs> an interesting, interesting note. But that being said, I did find. As I said before, a a very long article written by a woman who hated the first movie and hadn't actually seen the second movie at the time of her writing it. Um, so I can't imagine how she felt about when she did finally see the second film. <laughs> I, th- I, I, I yeah, I think. Uh, look, I can't escape the fact that it's a bad movie. You know what I mean? Like you yeah, can try yeah. and attack it from several different angles and look at it as a fan service. I I saw Michael Patrick King um, talk about it in interviews as saying. Uh, what did he say? Oh no, I think I'm thinking of the second movie actually, but he, mm-hmm. you know, you gotta appreciate when these films came out. So the first one came out just as the global financial crisis was happening. So literally <laughs> yeah. the entire world was on the brink of economic collapse. Barack Obama had just come in and had inherited the situation where like, I don't know, society was a few hours away from ending um, <laughs> after Bear Stearns went under and they were like, oh my God, this thing's not slowing down. Mm-hmm. Um, and and they threw at the audience in the wake of that context or, or you know, amongst that context, this <laughs> woman who um, can't decide whether or not to keep her small apartment so just ends up keeping that and getting the big penthouse apartment with her boyfriend and it's like what the fuck are we doing here guys this is madness but michael patrick king said that he wanted to give the viewers like an escape Mm -hmm. sort of a a bit of escapism in the films but he might have been talking about the second one and that's why they shot it in abu dhabi but actually shot in morocco because it was too racy to um shoot the scenes in abu Mm. dhabi you're, you're encroaching on Colt Popshire territory there, Tim. With How so? Oh, background fun, knowledge. Fun pieces <laughs> of, of behind-the-scenes trivia. big fat nerd about hey. the movie. <laughs> when in Rome. <laughs> um, so speaking of the second film, uh, none of these conversations about whether or not uh, it's just sexist male reviewers reviewing the film seem to be present <laughs> for Sex in the City too. People are like, okay, okay, <laughs> all right, it sucks. Maybe the men are right with this one. <laughs> uh, Andrew O'Hagan of the London Evening Standard wrote that the film could be the most stupid, the most racist, and the most polluting and woman-hating film of the year. And most famous uh, movie critic of all time, Roger Ebert, gave the film one star out of four, and he wrote that the characters were flightweight bubbleheads and the visual style uh, was arthritic and criticised the voiceover narration as redundant, which tells me he never watched the show because it's like, Roger, you can't do Sex in the City without the narration. No, fuck you, AJ, because <laughs> he's actually got yeah. a good point. The narration in the show serves an important purpose, which is inward reflection on a situation you watch unfold in the series. For mm-hmm. some reason in the movies, you see something, they display it on screen, and then Carrie Bradshaw tells you what you've just seen out loud. Yeah, and sure. it's like, yeah, yeah. we were right there, Carrie. <laughs> yeah, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> so I guess it's more that the the script doesn't facilitate the narrative device of exactly narration. Mm. Yeah, you got it. and and not to mention, um, who's that really great movie reviewer on the BBC who everyone loves? Mark Kermode. Yeah. You sh- if I don't know if you ran across this in your research, but um, I think particularly of the second film, you should see Mark Mode's review of Sex and the City 2. It mm. is spicy. Mm. Yeah, well, speaking of spicing reviews of Sex and the City 2, I've got, I copied one down here from someone named Lindy West, who's a, a writer, comedian, activist, it says uh, on her Wikipedia page. Um, and this is this is her review for Sex and the City 2. Uh, there is some bad language uh, coming up, so... Hold on to your hats because this is one of the most venomous, angry, short movie reviews I've ever read. She says, Sex in the City 2 takes everything that I hold dear as a woman and as a human. Working hard, contributing to society, not being an entitled cunt like it's my job, and rapes it to death with a stiletto that costs more than my car. It is 146 minutes long, which means that I entered the theatre in the bloom of youth and emerged with a family of field mice living in my long white moustache. This is an entirely inappropriate length for what is essentially a home video of gay men playing with giant Barbie dolls. Uh, Michael Patrick <laughs> King being being gay, I think, is what she's referring to there. 
yeah, fuck, man. That's the yeah. meanest review I've ever read, I think. It's so yeah. poetic. Yeah, so we're all in agreement then that they're all all very bad. Yeah, they they are all very <laughs> bad. I mean, you, you've got to say, though, that the, the real problem with the movies is Carrie Bradshaw. Everyone else mm. um, mm-hmm. has their interesting quirks, and admittedly they're foibles, but no one is as uniquely self-obsessed as mm. SJP's uh, lead character, Carrie Bradshaw, which mm-hmm. it just it makes it for a very hard watch because you've got these other characters going through some stuff. Charlotte, for example, is someone who has wanted to start a family um, for a very, very long time. And seeing her struggle mm-hmm. through the trials and tribulations, which I assume are in the series, must have been a you know <laughs> an ongoing battle for the uh, for the fans. And then yeah. that's why I think there is some good fan service that happens in that first movie because she gets kind of rewarded with um, both uh, – well, actually, in the TV show at the end, she adopts a child with Harry um, yeah. and then gets a biological child as well because uh, mm. they conceive. Yeah. So that's nice. Yeah, after being told she was reproductively challenged. Yes, yes, her <laughs> words. I'm sure that's not <laughs> what the doctor said. She said, you, you barren bitch. <laughs> Drives us hard. Hey, in the the Sex in the City universe, you know, Sex in the City's New York, I wouldn't be surprised if a doctor had that kind of witty, sharp dialogue that the critics Absolutely. Love, you know? <laughs> and then Samantha would have tried to fuck him and it just would have gone full yeah. circle. <laughs> yeah, very true. Um, so while we're on the topic of Carrie Bradshaw not being a good person – Richard, you wanted to talk about uh, who's the worst friend. <laughs> so what? I asked you about an hour ago. I was like, what do you want to do? Is there anything specific you want to talk about? And you're like, who's the worst friend? Well, okay. Well, we've kind of brought it up that Carrie's clearly the worst friend, right? Mm-hmm. She doesn't- re- There's a few moments you get where she seems to genuinely do nice things. Like um, she hires a new assistant in the first film and then she like gifts her this bag because it's their anniversary coming up. She pre- pretends she didn't know anything about it and then um, has given her this new bag. She rents bags um, to look it's fashionable. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. And, it's, and, it's, and I was like, oh, actually, that was kind of a nice moment. But um, other than that, she's really- self-centered and self-absorbed. Samantha gets this big trip to Abu Dhabi and she makes it all about herself because she runs into Aiden. And, um, but yeah, I just think like watching it, I was like- You mean Carrie. Carrie runs into Aiden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How dare you you mix up the gals? Don't cross the streams, bro. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like watching the movie, because you often hear, obviously Carrie's the main character and then like saying, oh, that's such a Samantha thing to say. I feel like it's always Samantha's name that gets- Put in there. But, like, Charlotte mm-hmm. and Miranda are clearly the two best, like, friends. They're clearly the ones you would actually want in your life. There's a scene in the second one where they're, um, Charlotte's really struggling with motherhood and Miranda, um, you know, calls her in for a drink and they kind of take sips um, and while complaining about motherhood. And it's this very, like, honest moment and I thought it was the best scene in the second movie. And it's like that's that's a commonly held opinion amongst some of the reviews I was reading was like, why is there the scene that's ripped straight out of the TV show at its prime yeah. in the middle of the the you know death of of the series essentially? Yeah, because because um, it's it's a very like real moment where they kind of like are acknowledging their privilege a little bit as well because they talk about how hard it is to be a mother, which is like obviously a very relatable thing for a other mother like the the fan base of this movie. Um, Mm-hmm. And then they also talk about like, and we, you know, we're rich and we have full-time help and we still struggle. Imagine what it's going to be like for other people. And then they have a drink to all those women out there struggling. And I was like, this is like the first time I've seen in this movie where they're actually aware of how privileged these characters are and unlikable they are. Mm. Mm. And Charlotte just seems to be genuinely like the nicest person out of all of them. Charlotte's a good yeah. person, eh? Nothing yeah. wrong with Charlotte. Yeah. Well, there's a lot wrong with her, but she's she's a good person. <laughs> she's got a good heart. But I reckon the same about Samantha and, and Miranda as well. Like, they're not bad people. Yeah. Carrie Bradshaw is a bad person. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no arguments here. Did you guys- <laughs> Tim, I, I haven't listened- I, I didn't listen to early on in season four, which is when you covered the first film. Um, and so I'm wondering if, if you guys discussed this or not. And it's, I'll open, uh, you know, question for you as well, Richard. Mm-hmm. 
is Big leaving her at the altar. He immediately regrets it. She's not like publicly embarrassed. She only find you know, the people find out he's left in front of like her closest friends. And he immediately is like, oh, this is a bad idea. I should, what, what the fuck am I doing? I have to go get married. Of course I want to get married. And she, Carrie is just like, no, you humiliated me. Yeah. Um, I feel like not to, you know, not to be the guy watching a movie targeted at women and then be like, the guy's right. <laughs> but the, <laughs> like, I feel like it needed, he needed to like actually leave her at the altar for it to actually be as impactful as the movie wants you to think it is. Yeah. How do, do, how yeah. do you mean <laughs> as impactful as the movie wants it? What, them getting married? So he, the, the, the crux of like Carrie's story arc is that big left her at the altar. Yeah. But he, within five minutes, he reverses his decision and she he doesn't literally leave her in front of all their friends and family. True. So no one knows it's happened. Yeah. So it would be very easy for him to be like, I'm really sorry. I don't know what I was thinking. And for them to just get on with it and no one would be any the wiser but instead she like doubles down as like no oh you, i don't know you. about that aj i think that's a pretty <laughs> no. unfair re- even even to um carrie bradshaw herself i think that's a pretty unfair read because so what happens folks because i can't stress this enough please don't watch this uh this film <laughs> it doesn't deserve your attention nor any fraction of a cent it may get from your stream on netflix um, <laughs> but what happens is Carrie Bradshaw has basically, it's sort of alluded to that she's single-handedly planned the wedding. Big is revealed to basically not have a single friend on God's green earth. They have a rehearsal dinner um, style event the night before, two nights before, one night before. And um, he's just got some work colleagues there who are fucking douchebags who work <laughs> at the firm that he's at. Uh, yeah. heckling Samantha while she's making her like maid of honor speech <laughs> at the dinner. Crazy stuff. Absolute scenes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we've got this situation where Carrie Bradshaw has set everything up, um, booked this whole wedding. It's happening at the New York library, which is like a very special place for Carrie. Um, all the friends are there. It's, it's the bloody social event of the season. She has been given a dress. Uh, by mm-hmm. Vivian Westwood, the designer, because it's you know it's such a big deal that Carrie Bradshaw was getting married, um, and I mean they're late by from memory at least twenty minutes, and Big's still not there. So then she has to try and track down a cell phone, which actually we should bookmark that. Get back to that in a second. So then she <laughs> rings him, and he's like, "I can't do this." And this is like the fifth. Even having not watched all of the show, I know that this is like the fifty millionth time that Big has let her down. So yeah, yeah. to they then bundle her out of there in a car quick as they can to get her away from all the people, and to expect someone to bounce back from that just because they run into each other on on the road in their uh, two limousines. Um, and pick yourself up t- to the point where she could go through the wedding that day. I think, AJ, you're actually, if I may, <laughs> being pretty fucking insensitive. Uh, I've been called out. You have. Yeah. Um, by someone who it's has so intimate true. knowledge of this whole trajectory. But you want to know the <laughs> fucked up thing. So, folks, listen up, because this is the real tea. Uh, the adopted <laughs> daughter of Charlotte, Lily, grabs Carrie Bradshaw's cell phone and puts it in her little kid clutch, this little cupcake handbag that she's got, and hides it away. And Big is calling Carrie all day just to try and, like, alleviate his apprehension about getting married. And because he can't make Mm -hmm. the call, he just gets himself into such a fucking state that he doesn't go through (laughs) with it and bails. And even though he's, like, he gets so close that he is in the limousine outside the library where they are, they are to be wed and says to his driver, I can't do it. Let's go. Yeah. Um, if, if Lily didn't hide the cell phone, none of these events would have unfolded. The wedding would be on. Everything would be wow. tickety boo. This all falls down yeah. to a little three year old girl hiding Carrie's cell phone. And, um, yeah. she never really gets her comeuppance, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. That is true. Um, man, we need to get someone on 
the podcast who's watched the same movies 52 times more often well because that is that is one of the most succinct uh descriptions of a scene which is one of the challenges we have on the show <laughs> is making sure this people have you know are able to picture things in their mind's eye and that was very descriptive so thank you that, you're so welcome there's one other little tidbit that i will share which i apologize because i'm retreating ground that we treat on our podcast but Oh, I good. would like to, as, as, just, just as two people who have seen the movie now, I would like to put it to you that Louise, who is the assistant that Carrie Bradshaw hires for herself mm-hmm. in the first movie, mm-hmm. does not exist, a la Fight Club. Mm. She doesn't yes. interact no. with a single character that is not Carrie Bradshaw. She does nothing of uh, consequence that is that mm-hmm. would impact on anyone else's life. All the other people that Louise interacts with are like, from out of state in this whole other world i i put it to you too that she is carrie bradshaw's imaginary friend Mm, i i had listened to you guys talk about that before i saw the movie and so as soon as she turned up i was like right here we go (laughs) like i was like eagle-eyeing looking for for seeing if she interacted with anyone else um and what's also interesting about her character i'm not sure if you cover this on the show but one of the one of the like few uh big criticisms that the tv show had was that all the characters are white Mm. and louise is african-american um and is seen by by some commenters on the commentators on the film to be you know an apology from Michael yeah. Patrick King by putting a a main black character in it who is a, a subservient. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. I love I love the fact that she imagines this character to be her only black friend, but it's in like a <laughs> a subservient role to her. Totally, yeah, yeah. it's an employee. It's literally <laughs> yeah. an employee yeah. of hers, and uh, it's very caring. There is this kind of. Um, horrible old trope in movies and tv of uh like a an african-american character coming on and serving as a fairy godmother um Mm. style role where they can kind of come Mm. and support the lead to do something and then fuck right off as soon as they've fulfilled (laughs) that task yeah and uh i think that describes louise's role in this to a t portrayed by the multi-award winning jennifer hudson Mm. Mm. Who go. also wrote the um, the song that you hear a bunch of times in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Mm. All right. So one thing that I know you've talked about at length and experienced at length, Tim, and Richard now as well, but certainly not to the same <laughs> token, uh, is that both of these movies are very long. Yeah. Uh, they, each, <laughs> they each clock in at about two and a half hours each. Um, and I think this is because Michael Patrick, what, what's his name? King. Michael Patrick. We King? call him Mattress Parklet King, but. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's just the um, thing. He, he clearly does not know how to structure a movie. Yeah. Like the plots of yeah. both films are very episodic and it's actually like astonishing how late into both films new plot threads yeah. are introduced. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it feels like he wanted to make a couple, like less like he wanted to make a couple of movies and more like he was desperate to make more seasons of the TV show. Um, and, so the the episodes of the TV show were 30 minutes each. The shortest season of the TV series was season five, which only had eight episodes, so four hours long, which essentially means, Tim, that you guys watched half a season of a TV show once a week for a year twice. Like that is- oh, Those are some gross numbers you're throwing at me, bro. I don't like that. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think- to differentiate it from the TV show format, there needed to be more focus um, in the films themselves. And I think a great way of doing this would have been to make them more like singular events. And I read a Vice article um, that posited that the narrative question of what would the girls do in a city that wasn't New York is actually pretty intriguing. Mm. So maybe the first film should have been Sex in the City goes to Mexico. And the second film should have been Sex in the City goes to Abu Dhabi. You know, I, like did, that's just, by, that's the plot of the By films. the way, that is the first time any of the three of us have mentioned that the gals go to Mexico in the first movie. <laughs> <laughs> and, but, but what I love, what hit me when watching that scene, that scene, it should be the whole movie, but essentially that extended scene where they go to Mexico is that, so the situation is it's supposed to be big and Carrie's honeymoon. Uh, but instead of when he jilts her, at the altar instead of cancelling it the girls go instead and that concept the the wife left at the altar takes her best girlfriends on her honeymoon instead of cancelling it sounds like a perfectly serviceable netflix rom-com starring like Kristen wig you know 71 percent on rotten tomatoes that kind of thing yeah man 
Bridesmaids too. <laughs> yes. If you get the right um, people yeah, in there, there it's good yeah. fun. Like I, I did think that <laughs> a lot of the the plots that each of the girls kind of have in the mo- in the first movie feel like seasons of a show like there's the Miranda's mm. been cheated on and the whole it takes her the whole season to kind of forgive him and get back together and the whole Carrie getting over big and then ending up with him again and then like Samantha has her plot where she's not sure about this guy and there's the one next door and then Charlotte's also there um without really much to do but um in a lot of ways hey, that's I- not true she's struggling with with her babies <laughs> How yeah. dare you, Richard? <laughs> um, but then, in a lot of ways, I kind of like some ideas of the second film a lot more on paper because it's like, yeah, if you've got to do a movie, do Sex in the City with a huge budget where you send the girls to Abu Dhabi. And I'd like, this, for some reason, the idea of like something like Samantha going through menopause on paper is so much more interesting to me than like Samantha is, wants to have heaps of sex again. No, I agree, yeah. Oh, absolutely. The menopause plot, yeah, the menopause plot is like, um, this feels like what the movie should be about, or at least her character arc, and then it Mm. kind of just gets left behind when she finds a guy who's hot enough to crack through the menopause. Yeah, dick (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, and same with, um, like, Carrie's storyline about married life. It's like, yeah, this is- I mean, if the film- if the series had ended up with her just settling down with Big, and then we meet them- you know four to eight years later or whatever and married life isn't all it's, all it's cracked up to be kind of thing that, that's a good place to take your movie i think but yeah. then it, it doesn't execute the ideas as well obviously mm. yeah yeah so before we move on to our segments tim as the resident expert of the two sex and the city movies yes uh wh- which of the gals are me and richard which one are we can you <laughs> can you answer that richard is miranda Okay. Oh, yeah. Um, AJ, I <laughs> am really, uh, you know, I'm sorry that I have to put this at your feet, but you are Carrie Bradshaw, my friend. No! <laughs> yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> oh, I'm not romantically se- successful enough to be Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> You're probably not rich enough either, dude, or a woman in New York, <laughs> but, you know, if those yeah. are the four options- yeah. You're the one leading the show. You certainly don't have enough sex to be Samantha. <laughs> and you also frequently get left at the altar, so it's kind of a perfect one to one. And you're yeah. not a nice enough person to be Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody hell. <laughs> Captain Pylon over here, Richard. Before you guys said that said like started um singing Charlotte's praises, I was like, I think I'm Charlotte. Oh. And now I was like, Well, I can't I can't make that claim now. I feel like I'm Charlotte just because I'm timid and you're, like, you're carried worried. because you are the um, narrative force holding this thing together. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're steering the ship, yeah. mm. much like the that obscenely narcissistic Carrie Bradshaw. <laughs> <laughs> that does make sense. I just hated Carrie so much that I didn't, I couldn't see it. You know, I wouldn't allow myself mm. to see it. That's exactly something that Carrie would say in her narration. <laughs> I should yeah. I should have put a little voiceover American accent spin on it. Yeah, you just needed the two mirrors that are us. <laughs> and that's when I realized I was the Carrie Bradshaw I was trying to run away from the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. All right. So one of our segments on uh, the show, Tim, is called Dumb IMDb Trivia. And... Uh, one fun thing about IMDb is that the trivia is user-submitted. So this means you can get some fun pieces of trivia, but you can also get stuff that probably isn't true. You can get stuff that's um, written in a way that's like it was written by a, a four-year-old, like all sorts of fun <laughs> stuff. So we like to compile some, um, you know, d- the, a very liberal use of the word dumb IMDb trivia and discuss it. So here are some pieces of dumb IMDb trivia from the first film. Uh, in the scene when Carrie is returning some books to the library, Sarah Jessica Parker is not wearing any mascara. Also in the scene, she's carrying a hat which she never wears and is actually too small to fit on her head. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Those are pieces of trivia. Is this it's true? So 
It's on. I don't know. It's on IMDb. <laughs> You're the one who's seen the movie fifty two times. I don't. I look, does she wear the hat? It might have. It might have <laughs> sailed right past me, but I don't remember her wearing a hat so small it can't fit on her head. That's really so funny. Small, not, not only that it can't fit on her head, but that, that it's worthy of an entry in IMDb's trivia section. Hell yeah! But then again, it took like um, I had already watched the movie about twenty five times, and then uh, mm-hmm. my wife walked in on me watching it, which is a horrible, grisly scene. Uh, <laughs> And she was like, what's up with Carrie Bradshaw's dumb bag? And she's got like this hideous bag that's in the shape of the Eiffel Tower. Oh, my God. Yeah, and I'd never seen it before. So sometimes you get too like into the film and it Mm. becomes impossible to see Carrie Bradshaw carrying a tiny hat that is too small for her head. No (laughs) mascara, though. That is such a funny like – because someone's just – it's probably not even true, first off. It's just like a, a subtle application of makeup. To try yeah. and display something on screen, and someone's like, "She's not wearing mascara." I must submit this to IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> what are people doing with their fucking lives? Oh, wait a minute! I saw it over fifty times. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, here's another piece of trivia from the first film: When the ladies are walking to Fashion Week, Carrie says it's spring when it's still winter yeah. due to the snow and ice on the ground. Hard out. Uh, when Carrie says spring, it is because they're going to the spring show at fashion week which occur in early to mid-february it's spring to the woman because of the fashion they'll be seeing however there is often snow in spring in new york city <laughs> as well as other northern states often well into april now <laughs> i could be wrong because it's been a minute since i saw it but i'm pretty sure yeah. in her narration she is pretty explicit about saying that it is spring mm-hmm. She says, like, well, springtime in New York, a time for something, 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 something. Yeah. Well, maybe it's just because yeah. it's well into April and there's still snow on the ground, as is common <laughs> in New York City. I never cracked <laughs> when the seasons are, so, um, like, even yeah. in New Zealand, where I have lived my entire life. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But Guy and I did try and chart the, like, amount of time that the movie is representing and it's over a year (laughs) it's over a calendar year which is a crazy thing to do Mm. here's some uh trivia for the second film uh as you mentioned tim the government of abu dhabi Dhabi did not allow filming calling the film too sexual Mm. um it's called sex in the city you you know that could be your first the clue was Um, the first five (laughs) seasons of the tv show (laughs) (laughs) Uh, and here's this this piece of trivia isn't dumb, but the following piece of trivia kind of uh, puts it in a new light. So this is on the IMDb trivia section for Sex in the City 2. Two comedians from New Zealand, Tim Batt and Guy Montgomery, are watching this film each week for 52 weeks as of February 2015 and discussing it for their podcast, The Worst Idea of All Time. They previously did this with the Adam Sandler movie Grown Ups 2. I cannot You're, you- tell you how <laughs> delighted I am that my name came before Guy Montgomery's and that tidbit. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, but this is <laughs> the wind is somewhat taken out of these sales when the next piece of trivia listed is Sarah Jessica Parker has admitted to never reading a single review of the film. <laughs> that's, that's good practice, though. I think, like as a as a mm. comedian, it is a horrible, ghastly business reading your own reviews. So um, I actually sure. commend her on that. That's that's good mental health <laughs> protection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so. One of the things we talk about quite often on this podcast, Tim, is titles. We talk about the titles of the films and the franchise we watch, whether they have, you know, congruity or not, or whether they're just, you know, it feels like they're not trying, that sort of thing. Um, and in regards to Sex in the City, I think it's a, you know, a pretty good title for the Chronicles of Carrie and the Gals. But I was reading about the book, which the show is based on uh, by Candace Bushnell, and she also published a couple of prequels, one of which was called Summer and the City. Uh, and this got me thinking about my idea of, you know, make it Sex and the City goes to Mexico and Sex and the City Abu Dhabi be the whole films. Do you think it would have been cool if the films were respectively titled Sex and the Beach and Sex and the Desert? <laughs> yes, AJ. I think that would have been a capital idea. In fact, I'll go one step further and say that that should have been the subtitle. So it should have been called Sex and the City, Sex and the Beach, the movie. Mm. And Sex in the City, Sex and Mexico, the movie. Yes. Nice. (laughs) Tim, whenever I pitch titles to Richard, he always says, those are really dumb. And that's the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. Yeah. (laughs) 
No, you beat me to it, Tom. They're good ideas, AJ. <laughs> oh, thank you. Now I just want to side with Tom. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we're going to move on to one of our final segments of the show, which is continue the franchise. So this is where we both pitch, uh, or we all pitch, I should say, um, some sequels, oh. some some spin-offs, what have you. Uh, but before we do that, the it is worth noting that the first of Candace Bushnell's prequels, The Carrie Diaries, was adapted into a short-lived TV series, which aired from 2013 to 2014. It starred Anna Sophia Robb as a young Carrie exploring New York City in the mid-80s. So, Tim, you know, season five, worst idea, watch now, <laughs> The Carrie Diaries uh, once a I week. I will have you know that that show <laughs> received um, some somewhat positive reviews. Uh, mm-hmm. And it actually looked like it was doing a good thing. It was a shame it got cancelled as early mm. as it did. Did it do like a season and a half from memory? It did two seasons, yeah. Two seasons, right. And they had um, backfilled a little bit of Carrie Bradshaw's history. Um, they'd sort of retconned some of her background because mm. there were some loose references to things in the TV, in the HBO series that got contravened, you know, just mm. in favour of a better story for the Carrie Bradshaw what is it called? Diaries? The, the Carrie Diaries. The Carrie Diaries. Carrie Diaries, yeah. It was, look, all of that to say, that looked like it was an interesting show. I, did I yeah. watch it? Absolutely not. <laughs> would I? Certainly wouldn't. <laughs> but it looked like it was, you know, high production values, reasonably well written, got some good reviews. It was. It just wasn't for me. Hmm. Um, therefore, it is not allowed on Worst Idea because <laughs> it looks remotely palatable. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so, and as as I'm sure you know, Tim, as well from the the countless uh, Facebook messages your page probably gets sent every day, um, there is also, of course, chatter about a third Sex in the City film. Uh, a script was written in 2016 with the cast signing on. However, later the film was cancelled. Um, Sarah Jessica Parker was quoted as saying, "I'm disappointed. We had this beautiful, funny, heartbreaking, joyful, very relatable script and story. It's not just disappointing that we don't get to tell the story and have that experience, but more." Also, for the audience that has been so vocal about wanting another movie, I'm willing to uh, bet those those vocal audience members are fans of your podcast, Tim, who really want another season of you guys <laughs> covering Sex in the City. We've made no such. I don't think we made. Oh, maybe we did. You have yeah, fuck, absolutely made that promise. Oh, we did. Oh, okay, got it. <laughs> well, okay. The, the, this story, which Carrie, Bre- uh, which Sarah Jessica Parker was so eager to tell, did, yes. do you, have you looked into this at all? I have. <laughs> Yeah, Richard, so, do you know about this? Uh, it's well, killing off a character, isn't it? It's, it's yeah. dead right. The yeah. uh, inciting yeah. incident that propels most of the plot is that Mr. Big dies in a shower, <laughs> just fucking carks it. And yeah. the reason why the movie didn't get made is Kim Cattrall could not be fucked playing a character yeah. supporting this egotistical, narcissistic, <laughs> entitled idiot of Carrie Bradshaw for another, I don't know, <laughs> 600 hours in celluloid again. So yeah. it was all because of Kim Cattrall that it didn't happen. And mm. I say fucking congrats and thank you and well yes. done. Good decision yeah. making. Yeah. yeah. Kim Cattrall uh, referred to her to the the plans for the third movie falling apart because she went past the finish line portraying the character of Samantha. It's um, well. <laughs> um, nice about putting but it. One, one piece you did miss there, Tim, in your summation was that it's about, it's two, two plot details were released. One is Mr. Big dying and the other is Samantha receiving sexting and nude pictures from Miranda's son, Brady. Uh, two storylines <laughs> which couldn't sound more different in terms it's of stakes, right. yeah. but somewhat appropriate for a trilogy of films that would rather be shorter seasons of a TV show. Was it intentional or accidental? Uh, I don't know. It doesn't, Fuck, didn't say. Some, some pretty serious legal implications that I think Miranda would be like intimately across mm. being a lawyer. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Sweet. So, uh, my idea for Sex in the City 3 mm. is called Sex and the World. Uh, oh and it would be about Carrie. <laughs> Carrie discovering there exists a podcast where two New Zealand comedians read and make fun of her latest book, I Do, Do I, every week for a year. Um, 
mortified she and the gals jet set across the globe to New Zealand to find the podcasters but they have to make several layovers in many different countries to get there where they learn in each country how much better America is uh, by the end of the film they reach Auckland New Zealand and carry unexpectedly guest stars on the podcast that's making fun of her uh, after which she catches the bug and discovers that podcasting really is the modern day application of her craft uh, she starts a podcast with the gals and it reaches the top charts on Apple Podcasts Wow, it's meta as fuck. <laughs> it's how I do, man. Who would you have play the podcasters? <laughs> you and me. <laughs> <laughs> well played, gentlemen. Well bloody played. Sweet. So who wants to pitch their idea next? Um, I didn't write mine down. Yours sounded so, like, well um, written. Oh, <laughs> What's good, the word man. I'm looking for? Well written. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I, don't, I don't always write it down, but I wanted to... I it's wanted to impress well. you too. I never and I succeeded. Down. I was impressed. <laughs> it's very well articulated. Um, well, I'll, I'll jump in if you don't mind, Richard, yep. so we yep. can end on your one. Uh, okay. So, what I would like for this franchise is a theme park experience. I've forgotten the terminology <laughs> they use now because it's not like a roller coaster or a thrill ride, but yeah. it is a, an experiential oh, yeah. journey into mm. the heart of Sex in the City using a combination of um, the most advanced roller coaster technology that we've got. <laughs> um, there are lasers. Yes. There are oh. holograms. We are being visited um, by Magda, who has died in the world of um, the Motion Master experience that is <laughs> Sex in the City 4D. Um, <laughs> we, we open, so get this, you tumble into your carriage with your friends and the doors open and you emerge out into the um, big closet that Mr. Big has built carry and mm -hmm. you go through mm -hmm. it a la Lion the Witch in the Wardrobe, Ooh. and then it opens up into this crazy world where you visit all of the friends individually. And so um, you go to Samantha first and you get this, like, liquid sprayed on you because um, <laughs> some dude's just uh, done his <laughs> dirty deed on you. <laughs> and you, you. You feel it and you smell it and it's horrible. <laughs> and then you- It's the uh, dude with you the funky spunk. Exactly. You, you go over, you go over to uh, Charlotte, and you emerge in her like pantry, and then you peep out, and she's just screaming your tits off at her kids. Um, and it's it's very loud and it's chaotic. And then her nanny comes and takes them away, and then the nanny um, leaves with Charlotte as well. So you continue on your journey, and then you see um, Miranda, and she and Steve are just fucking going at it, <laughs> and and you get to watch in three D. And to be honest. It's pre it's pretty grisly stuff, <laughs> and then that, that's the end of the ride. Wow, wow! That's have we ever that's had a theme fun. park experience pitched as a continue so. the franchise? That's great. I love it. <laughs> I just I love the idea of of like what theme park would make a, a you know you know movies <laughs> that just don't deserve to have yeah. theme park rides made up. Sometimes the theme park ride comes first. I think that's what happened with Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah. And yeah. the Haunted and, um, Mansion. And the uh, Jungle Cruise. Yeah, Jungle Cruise, the upcoming Dwayne The Rock Johnson movie. Classic. Um, yeah. Yeah, I went on a, um, in, in Japan, I was in Japan recently. I got back one Sex in the City plus one podcast ago, because that's wow. what I've been doing since I arrived. Um, there was a Jaws ride, which was like, you're on a boat cruise where um, you are being taken around the place where Jaws was filmed and then a shark attacks the boat and then the like skipper who is just like some actor um, attacks like you know shoots the shark or whatever and then at the end he's <laughs> when you come back to the like entrance he's like hey can you guys not tell my boss about the shark and the guy we had was like so funny. The whole thing was in Japanese. I don't understand a word of it um, but the guy was really giving it his all and it was such a such a fantastic Dude, was, experience. Was this Universal in Osaka? Yeah. I've been on that ride. It's <laughs> yeah. fucking great. Did you do the, did you do the Robocop one? Because that is so confusing as a non-Japanese speaker. <laughs> no, I don't think they, they had, what was the Robocop one? 
you get the, the vast majority of it is someone who works at Cyberdyne giving a speech to you entirely <laughs> in Japanese. <laughs> there are yeah. No subtitles, no headphones with the translation, nothing. And I just yeah. love the attitude that they have there of like, well, if you're not going to learn the language, get bent. Mm. <laughs> yeah, no, there was the um, one where you have to help Spider-Man. That was quite good. That was and, great. Um, yeah, they blow hot air Japanese. Yeah. yeah. No, that was blo- a bloody fantastic time. Anyway, Kira Richard, and, um- stop stalling. Yeah. What's your- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so um, I'm just trying to think of a new one because I had a theme park ride. No, I didn't. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> my So my idea um, is ideally I'd want this to come out in like 10 years time kind of thing. Um, so this is like, you know, a distant sequel of, of sorts. So it follows a young girl who- Moves to the big city. Uh, she's from small town America. She wants to make it big in the fashion industry. So she's um, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, moves and, and manages to get a job making coffees or something at Vogue magazine. And then, you know, things uh, don't really go her way. So late at night in her shitty one-bedroom apartment, she, she's there wondering why she never made it. Uh, in the same way that her favorite author did. And she pulls out one of the books and it's written by Carrie Bradshaw. And she's lived her, this girl's lived her whole life uh, idolizing this lifestyle of, you know, mm. sex, and, sex in the city and, um, you know, just like being rich and shallow. Um, but, and so she decides, oh, I'm going to reach out to Carrie Bradshaw and find out what happened um, because no one's heard from her in, in several years. <laughs> and um, eventually she does manage to find kind of a washed up uh, Carrie Bradshaw who's lost everything. What happened was Mr. Big, as I know um, you mentioned, you guys kind of theorized on your podcast, Tim, about what it actually what it actually is that he does for a living. Yeah. But it turns out he was kind of just the the fall guy for some kind of Ponzi scheme. Oh, shit. And after being um after being me tooed, um, it was oh. found out that he he'd done some kind of dicey stuff. Keep it keep it relevant. Um, you know, <laughs> and then people started looking into his life and his company and they found out that it's actually just all this big cover for like money laundering or something or whatever. He loses all of his money. Ends up killing himself because, you know, you were keeping the um, <laughs> Mr. Big Death um, mm. thing that they wanted so desperately to put in the third film. And, um, yeah, so Carrie Bradshaw's washed up. She's she's lost everything. Um, her, Samantha, absolutely does not talk to her anymore kind of thing. They've completely fallen apart. She sees Miranda every now and then. Um, they, they text, you know, once a year. And... Um, Charlotte, being the good friend she is, is still there and supportive and everything like that. And um, yeah, it's kind of this this tale about how uh, this this woman that once had it all and now has nothing, and she, um, I guess, eventually the lesson that this young girl we've been following would learn is that you know money and having all the clothes you want aren't actually what it's all about. It's about your friends, uh-huh. and um, yeah. So and it would be called it would be called like Bradshaw or something. Oh, cool! <laughs> I like that title for some reason a lot. Mm, it's a good yeah. scheme for it. It's got the Logan, mm. Logan or Joker. Yeah, kind of yeah, like yeah. I was going yeah, title. Creed was the one I was going for. Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I wish you guys said it sounded like Creed. Um, well, <laughs> hey, that is the end of our show. Thank you so much, Tim, for coming on. It's been an honor. Oh, thank you, guys. Thank you for everything you do. Um, we actually, yeah, you actually, uh, we owe you a (laughs) bit more than what it may sound like because Richard and I actually um, reconnected. We went to to, uh, broadcasting school together, but we didn't see each other for a few years, and we actually reconnected after meeting up with each other at one of your, um, was it a Worst Idea live show? Fuck, I'd love to hear that. It was yeah, yeah. um it was a night where uh you you and Guy both did shows um and then you did a live um show and I remember yeah we sitting there for all three of them and um if you listen closely to I remember the episode as well it's the we are your friends I think episode three um yeah, it's a live show and uh, yeah AJ you can hear our distinctive laughs laughs at certain <laughs> hey was that at the Monte Cristo yeah it yeah. was yeah you want to know a fun fact about that episode. Mm. which I can't yeah. remember. We might have shared this on the podcast, actually. There was a couple who came, I'm pretty sure that it was to our the podcast live show to that, and they disappeared. 
and we saw them. There was two people, a guy and a girl who went off uh, quite noisily, like they were both kind of <laughs> hammered. And it turned yeah. out they totally fucked during our, uh, our our podcast record in the toilets what? there at the Monte Cristo. Wow. So oh while, my gosh. while you can hear AJ's beautiful laugh um, <laughs> wafting through onto the microphone, if you listen hard enough, you turn that volume up and you've got just the right wow. headphones, you might hear some copulation at a downtown comedy venue that no longer exists. Wow. That's the wow. that's sex in the city right there. <laughs> it sure is. <laughs> uh, awesome. Well, thank you again, Tim. Uh, tell us what before we get into um, what franchise we will be covering next fortnight, which was decided and voted on by our patrons over at patreon.com slash Culpopture. Tim, can you tell us, for those who are in what I'm sure is the small percentage of people listening to this who haven't heard of Worst Idea of All Time, give us another plug for it. Where can we find it? When, when is it coming back? I'm sure a lot of people are wanting to know. <laughs> it's sort of, you know, it exists in a way at the moment <laughs> via a, um, a, a different podcast called Overlooked and Undercooked. Um, mm-hmm. Just go to littleempirepodcasts.com and have a click around on there. You might see some shows you like. Nice. Cool. And as usual, you guys can find us. Cold Pops are everywhere. We're also on Little Empire Podcast, and you can find us on uh, YouTube and Facebook and Instagram. Or you can email us at media at gmail.com. Uh, and next fortnight, Richard, what franchise are we doing? Uh, I believe it's Mad Max. Yep, we're doing the four Mad Max films, uh, which... One of the best things about this show, Tim, is that we get to slingshot violently back and forth between <laughs> yeah. types of movies, such as Sex in the City and Mad Max. Um, so that is, yeah, very, very fun. We did Jaws, I think, was a couple hey, episodes get, back. Hold so. on. There's four <laughs> yeah. Mad Max movies? Yeah, dude. There's Mad Max, Mad Max The Road Warrior, Mad Max Beyond the Thunderdome, and Mad Max Fury Road. I forgot about Road Warrior for some reason. That's... One of that's I think the best ones. Oh, true. <laughs> all right, as you were. All good. So anyway, thanks so much, Tim. Um, and we'll see everybody next episode. Bye. 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 Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.